This week on Where the Treasure Lies, Forrest Fenn gets in trouble with the fuzz. This is the then Chief of New Mexico State Police, Pete Cassettis, appealing to Forrest Fenn. I want Mr. Finn to uh, retrieve the treasure or call off the hunt after he retrieves the treasure. Here he is on the phone with Forrest Fenn. You had talked about uh, giving more clues, uh, providing more clues uh, to help people uh, better find your treasure. Uh, and, and again, I call for you to, to, to pull it. I'm not going to give a clue to help people find the treasure. I'm going to give a clue to try to keep them out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. To make them safer. Motivated by two of the deaths, Pete Cassettis famously called for Forrest Fenn to end the treasure hunt. In total, four men have died while looking for the treasure thus far. On this episode, we're going to talk about the circumstances of their deaths, the ramifications of their deaths, and what all this means, both in relationship to understanding Forrest Fenn and ascertaining our ultimate question, is the treasure real? Please note that this episode may not be suitable for younger viewers given the subject matter. So please be aware. Randy Bilyeu was the first searcher who lost his life while in pursuit of the treasure. His death has been the most written about of the four deaths thus far. Once again, here's Dale, who knew Randy personally and also helped search for Randy when he went missing. If you remember back to episode one, we mentioned this briefly. Nobody knows exactly what happened. We do know some of the things that he did that he sh- shouldn't have done. Uh, he bought a toy raft and tried to, you know, maneuver that thing down the fast-moving Rio Grande River uh, in winter. This is a big no-no. I mean, the Rio Grande is is not a river to 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 be uh, to be laughed at. It, it's a serious uh, river, and folks. Folks paddle that river uh, with great caution, and 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 but Randy apparently didn't know that, and uh, he jumped in his raft, and nobody knows exactly what happened, but his raft and his dog were found on the side of the river, and uh, Randy was gone, uh, and wasn't found for several months later. The searchers organized a. The, the sheriff gave up looking for Randy after a while, uh, and so the searchers organized the, their own search to try and pick up where the sheriff had left off. And then Forrest got involved, and he rented a helicopter to go look for him. He rented a small plane first, and that didn't work out, and then rented a, a helicopter, and they went looking for Randy uh, several trips. Forrest spent quite a bit of money uh, in trying to locate Randy. This was uh, right after he was, right after uh, he, he disappeared his and his dog and the raft were found. There was still a chance that Randy could be along the river somewhere, lost or, you know, holed up somewhere. And, and so that's what, Randy, that's what Forrest was trying to do, was locate him alive. Here's what we know about Randy's death. Randy set out for the Rocky Mountains in northern New Mexico on January 5th, 2016. He bought a raft and set out after scouting for two weeks along the river west of Santa Fe. He had a GPS device, a wetsuit, and waders. He brought along his little white dog named Leo. Randy had previously moved to Colorado to search for the treasure full-time. 
Randy's ex-wife Linda reported him missing on January 14, 2016. Randy's raft and dog were later found along the Rio Grande River on January 15, 2016. When Randy was reported missing, an intense search was conducted. Forrest Fenn even paid for helicopters and plane to search. Randy's whereabouts were unknown for over six months until his skeletal remains were discovered in the summer of 2016 by an Army Corps of Engineers crew who were working along the Rio Grande just north of Kachiti Lake. There wasn't enough evidence left for the Office of the Medical Investigator to determine what caused Billy's death. There were no broken bones or other skeletal injuries. In their report, investigators stated, quote, It is possible that Mr. Billy was caught in a remote location in the winter, either because of the weather or because of an injury not involving a fracture of the bones and succumbed to hypothermia or the effects of dehydration. Investigators also implied that it was possible that the 54-year-old Bellew could have died from a natural event, such as a heart attack. They say, quote, There are multiple plausible scenarios in which Mr. Bellew's death may have occurred, all of which cannot be disproven given the advanced state of decomposition. The cause of Randy's death will most likely remain a mystery. During the search for Bellew, his ex-wife Linda published an open letter to Forrest Fenn. Here is Blair reading Linda's letter. I had asked you at one time to please tell me where you hid the treasure so that we could find Randy, because realistically, he would not have taken a raft down the Rio Grande in the winter unless he knew for certain the treasure was there. Your response to me was, if I tell you, I will have to shoot you. Really? That is utter nonsense, and your statement has been overused to the point of boredom. You have repeatedly said, I am the only person who knows where the treasure is hidden. I beg to differ, since your wife also knows. While standing in your kitchen, your wife specifically told a treasure hunter that she was searching in the wrong direction. Hmm, obviously someone else does know where you hid the treasure. You said, why do you want to find Randy? Just let him be. He died doing what he loved to do. You'll never find him. Maybe in a hundred years, his bones will be found. This was said by you two weeks after Randy went missing. It was at that time that I knew you were a person who lacked emotions. A hoax, just like your treasure chest. A man who lacked empathy. Realistically, as you stated, you created a monster. And you have. You received death threats from frustrated hunters. The Finners even dug up your mother's and brother's grave. Yet you still will not man up and accept defeat. Yet, you continue to flourish in the spotlight. Is attention really that important to you? Obviously. Fifty-three-year-old Jeff Murphy of Botfield, Illinois, was the next searcher to wind up dead. On June 9, 2017, his body was found in Yellowstone National Park. Murphy had been reported missing days prior. A report conducted by authorities in Yellowstone concluded that Murphy died as a result of an accident while he was on the Rescue Creek Trail near Turkey Pen Peak. Murphy fell more than 500 feet off of the peak. Further documentation from the National Park Service says that Fenn was in contact with Yellowstone officials during the search for Murphy 
and had offered to help pay for a helicopter to assist in the search. Unlike Linda Bellew, Jeff Murphy's widow does not hold Fenn accountable for her husband's demise. She has said that her husband wouldn't hold Fenn accountable for his death either. Her husband knew the risks of the treasure hunt and that he wouldn't have wanted to hinder anyone else from embarking on the same quest. The third searcher to pass away was Pastor Paris Wallace. Wallace was the pastor of Connection Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. He was first reported as missing by his wife on June 14, 2017. Wallace's car was found shortly after near the Taos Junction Bridge. Police found receipts in his vehicle indicating he'd purchased a rope and other supplies at a local store. A torn rope was located a short distance from his vehicle and had been stretched across a tributary of the Rio Grande. On June 18, 2017, a body was recovered five to seven miles downstream from where Wallace's car had first been found. Ultimately, the body was identified as Wallace's. During the search for Pastor Paris Wallace, people again implored Fenn to call off the hunt. In response, Fenn conducted an interview with Westworld magazine where he stated the following. My heart is heavy with the news that Pastor Wallace may have lost his life while searching for the treasure. Words cannot describe the depth of my feelings. It is such a tragedy. I pray for his family, his friends, and his congregation. It is important to have someone with you anytime you go into the mountains. Family or friends at home should also know your plan in detail, and you should stick to the plan. Proper clothing, a cell phone, GPS, food, and water are necessities. People read all sorts of things into the clues. Regardless of where you think the treasure is, you should not exceed your physical and mental capabilities. The treasure is not in a dangerous place. They should remember that I was about 80 when I hit it. The fourth searcher to die was Eric Ashby. Eric's passing is perhaps the most tragic because he was not alone when he disappeared. Eric had gone to an area of the Arkansas River called Sunshine Falls. He went with the aid of three friends. Eric and his friends had even drawn up a handwritten contract that showed how the group would divide the treasure. With his friends present on the shore, Eric attempted to cross the river in an inexpensive raft. Eric disappeared after he passed through a rapid known as the Sledgehammer. Two witnesses saw the whole thing and called 911. Eric's friends did not. They looked for him for half an hour along the river and then fled the scene. Someone anonymously called Eric's father on July 8, 2017, 10 days after the incident, and told him that Eric was dead. His father then reported Eric as missing to the authorities. Eric's body was found by authorities on July 28, one month after he fell into the river. Eric had been troubled, and he fought with an addiction to Oxycontin after a painful surgery recovery. He moved to Colorado Springs to devote more time to the treasure hunt, and also to help him get clean. To date, no charges have been filed against any of his friends. In the month between his disappearance and the discovery of his body, Eric's family, who lived in Tennessee, fought hard to get any information about Eric and his disappearance. As with other searchers who were lost, Fenn tried to help. He donated $3,500 so that the family could search for Eric. 
These are the four deaths. But there have been many other incidents in the backcountry involving searchers whose lives were in peril that thankfully have not resulted in their demise. So let's talk about what the backcountry is like. More to the point, let's also talk about what backcountry rangers have to do to save people in peril. To get perspective, here's my backpacking friend Val, who has also worked as a backcountry guide at Philmont, which is a large backcountry campground in New Mexico located within the stated confines of the search area of the Fen Treasure. Um, so I actually led special treks this summer, so I'd be out in the field for 12 days at a time, hiking about 100 miles. The one thing about the backcountry that a lot of people don't really understand is that it's a lot harder and it's a lot different than they expect. If you don't know the basics, you know, say, I mean, navigation, that's one of the, the very first things we teach. Um, and if you mess that up right off the cuff, if you're, you did not set your map orientation to um, every single year, it changes a couple degrees. I think last year it was like seven degrees. Now it's eight degrees that you have to offset your true north. And if you just don't do that on your compass, I mean, you're already taking, by the 10th step, you're already off by one full step um, to your right or your left, depending on how you set your compass. Now, talking about food, like, I mean, if you cook your food wrong, you boil that water wrong, if you don't do any of that correct, I mean, you're, you're going to be sick. You're going to be absolutely devastated how fast you can get ill on the trail. And uh, your body needs every carbohydrate it can possibly get. And when you're lacking carbs and electrolytes, I mean, that's all we do on, on the season when we're not leading tracks. We're doing search and rescues for people who uh, have some kind of medical condition where suddenly they've gotten an immensely um, hard location where, you know, they're just absolutely sick. So we have to come in and, and get them. It's actually pretty dangerous for our folk to do search and rescues. And it's taxing, you know. You have your, your assigned duties for that day. You know, you're leading a trek or, you know, you're doing an autumn guide trip. Next thing you know, there's an assignment on the side. You're already taxed because you've already hiked about 20 miles that day. Now on top of that, you have to do a search and rescue for somebody where you don't exactly know their location. That's even harder. And, yeah, it's definitely taxing both on soul and body. Val knows many rangers who have personally rescued people who were looking for the forest fen treasure. People that have taken a wrong turn or entered into the wilderness unprepared. Honestly, the most common kind, which is almost comical, is an overweight guy who only brought one liter of water and not sufficient footwear. Like, that's happened two or three times from what I was told. Um, <laughs> and it's it's just absurd. You know, anytime you're in the Southwest, you know, you want to hike with at least, you know, three to four, maybe five liters of water. Jeez. And uh, especially if you're looking for something where you don't know the location, I, I cannot imagine only walking around with one liter of water and not well prepared outside of that. So um, that's just kind of the standard story. There, there's so many of them. They don't really stand out too much except for, you know, obvious eye rolling anytime the forest fen and his, uh, his lost sheep um, have to get rescued. Val and her colleagues work to help people connect with the outdoors because they themselves have a passion for the outdoors. I wanted to know what she and her colleagues thought about Fenn and his stated goal of getting people outside. How do, how do the backcountry rangers look at Forest Fenn and the whole treasure, aside from the eye roll because of the people they 
had to rescue. Um, that's kind of one issue, right? But how do mm-hmm. they do the, the whole treasure thing overall? I mean, these are people that are there in the terrain that he claims to, part of the terrain that he claims to have buried the treasure in. You know, you guys are the ones who know the train probably best of anybody in the world. Um, what do you guys view? How do you guys view this whole this whole thing? You know, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody, um, but from what I know about my friends out where I work um, and myself, I have to lean towards the fact that it's it's horse. You know, if you want to get people out into the backcountry, don't do it through gold and through treasure. That's you're going to be attracting the wrong kind of people um, who maybe need a different type of incentive anyway to go out in the outdoors. Um, if the type of people you're drawing in are filled with greed and lust, they're not going to really care too much about leaving no trace and following wilderness pr- principles. Um, so from the folk that I know, I mean, there's a lot of resentment. Thinking about the deaths and the danger that people who are seemingly unprepared for the backcountry have put themselves in has left me wondering more about Fen's psyche. The whole thing is just way out there. If I had $2 million and I wanted to give back in some way or inspire people to get outside, as he has stated he wants to do, I could think of much more effective ways of doing that. To help me grapple with understanding Fen's mind, I spoke to Paul Lattes, who has his MFT and is completing his thesis work for his PhD. Paul has treated many different types of mental health issues and has extensive understanding of the inner workings of the human mind. Uh, you know, people make sense and they do things for a reason. Um, and while the reason's not immediately clear to us, um, if you kind of know a little bit about their story and know some of the things that they've gone through and some of what they've experienced, you can kind of put together um, kind of an idea of why they're engaging in certain behaviors and and doing certain things. Um, Hiding treasure for other people to find, um, it's not something that people do very often. You know, it's kind of stuff of like fairy tales and, you know, pirates and different things like that. So it's almost, there's like a childlike simplicity to it, which is really interesting to me. Um, It's almost like the idea of a child to, I'm going to leave something behind for others to find and only I know where it is. It's almost kind of this naivety, this simplicity of, um, you know, I know something you don't. And I'm going to be kind of mischievous and lead you on this, you know, um, this treasure hunt. Because I think it's fun, you know. And I don't know whether he thought it was fun or he really had treasure that he wanted to share. But there has to be this sense of play in it, too, which is really interesting. And maybe that's just one of the ways he made sense of his world. I asked Paul how he thought Fenn's past might have led him to embark on his treasure hunt, so to speak. This individual who uh, um, was in war and saw a lot of death and saw a lot of trauma and also, um, I think, had a, a, a diagnosis of, of cancer too. Some people really move towards the pain and they really feel it and are afraid. And other people really reject the pain and move away from it. And they go off on a different tangent and they just pretend everything's okay. And they avoid and they look to enjoy their life and to do fun things and pretend like that pain never existed and those difficult things never happened. It's much easier to live with your life if everything's fun and a game and easy 
um, than it is to kind of deal with the, the difficult things of life. Um, so possibly this just could have been his way of um, coping with himself and his life and to do something fun and out there and wild and, and different. Paul also had a lot to say about the treasure of it all. It's kind of something where he has control. Uh, he built the, or he uh, created the treasure map, right? He knows only where it is, allegedly, you know, that there's these, uh, these hidden treasures, right? Maybe the hidden treasure is metaphorical. Maybe there's really not treasure. Maybe it's something um, meant to be discovered in the journey. Maybe it's um, all part of this game that he's created. But uh, when someone goes through that much um, uh, exposure to, to death and to war and to violence and to confronting their own mortality, um, everyone reacts in different ways. And uh, with this individual, it sounds like um, something he really chose to do was to uh, create something that he could define himself as unique with. I see a lot of humanity from Fenn especially in the way that he has helped to aid the search and rescue of those who have gone missing while looking for the treasure. Still, I wonder what spurns that. Ben has often stated that it is each person's responsibility to take proper precautions for their own safety. Why then did he help each of these search efforts? Why did he feel guilty? Is the treasure even real? Are we any closer to determining if we can prove the existence of the treasure in a court of law? Right now, my answer is still undetermined. But everything, including Fenn's motivations, seem incredibly suspect. Next week, we talk to Robert Kittinger, who has literally published a book that contains what he says is the solution to where the treasure lies. Where the Treasure Lies is written and hosted by me, Michael Figadi. All of our music is original and composed by Josue Adios. Our producers are Blair Figadi and Josue Adios. We have a special thanks to Christian Makoto Hancock. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This greatly helps others find us as well. Also, you can follow us on Instagram with our handle at Treasure Lies Podcast. And if you have any information about Force Fen or the treasure, slide into our DMs or email us at treasurepodcast at gmail.com.